0: You are tuning in to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, a podcast series that delivers access to some of the industry's most experienced active managers and thought leaders. We're sitting down to ask them the pertinent questions to find out their insights on the market environment and navigating the investment landscape. Welcome to another edition of On The Money. I'm your host, Mark Brisley. If you Google the word infrastructure or infrastructure investing, a universe of topics will unfold all opportunistic and speaking to massive investments being made all over the world. Governments, pension funds, investment managers, all recognizing the opportunity to invest in a sector that is the backbone of a society and essential to economic growth and prosperity. When we think about investing in infrastructure, we're thinking about several engines that drive the sector. And these can include areas like roads and railways, airports, mass transport, and logistics infrastructure, just to name a few. Not to be left out of the conversation is the increased attention on renewables and their importance in climate change action. We're talking about things like renewable power, which can include power generation, transmission and storage, and electrification. We also think about the fact that for many investors, income needs are as critical as ever. But high inflation, rising rates, and the thirst for yield can create challenges for investors who are seeking income from their investments. This is where alternative income generating solutions like infrastructure can play a role for differentiating from traditional income solutions. I'm joined today by Portfolio Manager Frank Latshaw, who manages over $2 billion in infrastructure assets for investors across Canada here at Dynamic Funds. Frank, it's a pleasure to have you with us, and I'm going to jump right into the first question, which is what infrastructure are you investing in today that you really like?
1: You know, the first one is related to climate change and the energy transition. This theme is fairly well understood at this point, I believe, but it's still very much in early innings. In infrastructure, the energy transition will require significant investment in new renewable power generation, as well as expansion of the transmission grid to connect new renewable projects. renewable power facilitates the transition away from coal-fired power production which even still today remains a significant proportion of the uh, global generation mix you know we're also seeing a growing trend amongst large corporate entities like amazon and google basf and comcast for example that are signing corporate power purchase uh, agreements at very good prices as you know, these companies receive renewable energy certificates for doing so, which helps them in turn validate their claims of reducing emissions, as that's becoming increasingly important uh, for shareholders around the world. The magnitude of infrastructure investment required to facilitate the energy transition is measured in the multiple of trillions over the next 10 to 15 years. And you know this has been a compelling theme for quite some time. We've talked about it in the past, but it has recently become amplified By the russian invasion of the ukraine as the eu now i think has no choice but to wean itself off of russian natural gas supply and shareholder preferences continue to exert pressure on oil and gas companies to limit their production i think a very real immediate threat to energy security has emerged you know this points to a more accelerated build out of renewables you know with the high power prices at the moment offering very attractive returns you know, there are, of course, practical constraints to seizing this opportunity, given how slow supply chains are and how scarce you know certain industrial metals and rare earths are at present. But this situation should improve with time. The slowdown in industrial production and capital investment in China is also helping alleviate some pressure near term on you know, raw material pricing and availability, but that's sort of a temporary uh, reprieve. We have seen a, a challenging operating environment for the renewable power companies being well-managed as higher power prices and good supply chain management has offset or, or mitigated a lot of the concerns around project returns and delays. Now this paints a very positive outlook for renewable power and infrastructure. The electrification of transportation, industrial production and heavy industry I think will also require significant investment and modernization of the electricity transmission and distribution grids globally. You know the regulated electric utilities will be the primary benefactors of this requirement, where you know they can invest at good regulated returns and grow high single digits for many years. I'll note that the electricity transmission and distribution network is where the climate change theme intersects with the next theme, being aging infrastructure. This again is is not a new theme, and it's going to be with us for for quite some time. You know, while climate change investment needs construction of new infrastructure, Assets like the existing transmission and distribution grid worldwide is quite old and you know, is in dire need of an upgrade, even before considering the extra modernization efforts required to handle what looks like a world that will be increasingly filled with intermittent renewable power and multi-directional flow of electricity. Water infrastructure is also a good example of old infrastructure that needs to be upgraded. You know, once again, it's the regulated utilities that will benefit from this theme primarily. You know and they operate monopolies that enjoy supportive regulatory frameworks the final theme i'd mention is data consumption this one i think like climate change has been a theme for a number of years and is probably the most easily understood by the average person given how much uh, we all rely on data access and consumption you know the data infrastructure companies enjoyed a surge during the pandemic at least the early stages as data needs rose exponentially to handle remote working, you know more e-commerce, and connectivity between people forced to isolate you know, from each other physically. I'll also say as mobility normalizes, this boom will probably fade a bit, but the digitization of our society will continue and require much more infrastructure to facilitate the massive growth in data usage and storage required. And this is for connectivity between people for work purposes, between machines as we uh, automate our processes, between buildings, vehicles, appliances, you know, just about everything else. Um, So these are the primary themes that are, are gonna be the key drivers of the Global Infrastructure Fund that we manage. And I find the most interesting themes in infrastructure at the moment. I do wanna stress, I mentioned energy security earlier, you know, should this become a more chronic issue, I think that would become a kind of a new separate theme within infrastructure that would require more investment in natural gas, midstream, and LNG infrastructure, for example. And we've already seen you know, a boom in LNG investment plans as a result of the crisis we've seen emerging in Europe. So that's what I would say would be the major themes at the moment within infrastructure.
0: You just mentioned an increase in return to normalcy in terms of people's mobility. I think we're starting to hear the term endemic in relation to where we are with COVID, signaling a much anticipated return to normalization. How will this impact if the world is actually returning to normal and pre-pandemic type levels? How is this going to benefit infrastructure stocks?
1: So I think we need to first understand what is meant by the term quote unquote normal and normalization. To me, normalization would mean a slowdown in economic growth to a level that's still expansionary, uh, tamer but higher than what we're used to inflation functioning supply chains even though they might look and feel a bit different as uh deglobalization in some areas becomes more prominent we're probably looking at unfortunately elevated commodity and power prices for a while less economic contribution from fiscal and monetary policy and unrestricted mobility of people even if that you know mobility looks and feels different than what we were used to pre-pandemic you know at this point we're still not there yet in my opinion i think Growth is slowing, but the pace of monetary tightening is a bit alarming and is due to stubbornly high inflation. Even if inflation looks to have peaked, it will probably captivate the markets for a while, I suspect. I don't think we're out of the woods there by any means. You know, we could be several quarters away from what looks and feels like uh, normal with respect to inflation. I'd also say supply chains are still not fully functioning, although they have improved. And the recent lockdowns in China will likely further complicate supply chain functioning, but... It also highlights the different exit speeds for different parts of the world from the pandemic. So all to say, I think this kind of gives a flavor of what I think the new normal will look like, and we're not quite there yet, but we're well on our way to progressing towards that uh, end post. Now, I actually see infrastructure as being very well positioned through the bumps along the way, as, as well as once we actually get there in a world that might look and feel like what I just described. So I do want to highlight a couple of key things. Uh, so far infrastructure companies i believe have proven themselves with respect to resilience and pricing power during the current inflationary environment and economic growth scare uh, we're experiencing you know the, the claim to be inflation protected by infrastructure companies and myself you know was mostly a conceptual one over the past 10 years because we really didn't have a whole lot of inflationary pressure during the pre-pandemic phase of the you know business cycle now we've got 1980s level CPI prints. And, you know, I don't think that's the new norm, but I think that's caught a lot of people off guard. And I think we've seen varying impacts across different industries. But so far, the infrastructure companies and sectors have weathered that storm quite well. Just to give you some examples. So you know, we've seen tariff increases across the board in our toll road, airport, and rail stocks. These increases have more than compensated for incremental operating costs. All the while, these GDP-sensitive infrastructure businesses have been benefiting from a recovery in their traffic and freight volumes, so both price and volume benefits, uh, despite you know, the growth and inflation scares. We've also seen our regulated electric and water utilities keep their operating costs in line while continuing to execute on their growth projects and preserve their return levels. Uh, they're having no trouble finding skilled labor They're keeping their day-to-day operating costs at or below inflationary trends, and they provide the most essential of essential services being electricity and water, and are able to recover their costs through, I would say, still very supportive regulatory frameworks. Uh, Not only have they controlled costs well, many are now increasing their growth expectations and expanding their growth opportunity set, mostly tied to climate change and updating old infrastructure, creating a lot of investment opportunity and all the while enjoying, I think, a good regulatory uh, backdrop. For example, the U.S. utility sector now looks set to grow earnings and cash flows, call it 7% a year for more than the next five years while paying a healthy dividend yield on top of that. Um, That's in a very good risk-adjusted framework, all within the regulated sector, uh, least lowest risk, highest sort of reward sectors within the uh, infrastructure space. And then i do want to mention the renewable power sector as well because this this sector hasn't been without its challenges lately but there are no doubt some challenges around supply chains and project delays but from what we've seen to date these delays and higher input costs have not been an insurmountable issue if anything they've been offset by the higher power prices that these companies have been able to negotiate uh, strong demand, strong and growing demand for renewable power from large corporate entities. And in some instances, project delays have actually allowed these companies to renegotiate their contract terms to update them for the current cost environment. You know, the renewable power companies have proven far more resilient than market sentiment towards the group would imply when you look at the stocks and their valuations. So the current high power price market and concerns over energy security, I think, bodes extremely well. For renewable power developers once supply chains clear up and you know we get some clarity on the current solar tariff review we're seeing in the united states so i think renewable power will continue to be a key part of the normalization process as we exit the pandemic so so, so based on all that i'd say you know the outlook for infrastructure looks very good as not only we navigate towards normal which is clearly proving to be a bumpy road but once we get there, I think these companies look very resilient and have highly attractive long-term growth potential.
0: Are there areas within infrastructure that maybe have challenges that will take a little bit longer in terms of recovery?
1: I would categorize the infrastructure sectors into those sectors that were resilient during the worst of the pandemic, those that were impacted by the pandemic but have now recovered, and those that have yet to recover. So in summary, the areas that prove the most resilient and therefore deserve, I think, the highest grade when it comes to being the epitome of essential are the ones that didn't skip a beat you know, when the world shut down and continue to provide their essential services without interruption. You know, These sectors would be the regulated electric and water utilities, the data infrastructure companies and the railroads. Uh, the second category being sectors initially impacted but have now recovered is really only the energy infrastructure sector, so the pipelines and midstream companies. At this point, it's really just the airports and, to a much lesser extent, the toll roads that have not fully recovered yet. In terms of the toll roads, I'd say they're virtually back to pre-pandemic levels in in terms of traffic volumes, with the exception being the 407 here in Ontario. Our toll road investments in France, Australia, and the United States are now mostly at, or in some cases above, pre-pandemic volume levels. The stocks, however, have not fully reached the early uh, 2020 peak, Um, Although, in hindsight, I'd say these valuations were a function of much lower interest rates and perhaps much higher sponsorship in the listed markets for real asset uh, stocks pre-pandemic. That kind of leaves the airports as the remaining straggler in the group. The evidence uh, at this point that people want to travel again, at least domestically, which means within the same continent for the most part, is, is overwhelming. Domestic leisure travel in the United States is within 5% of pre-pandemic levels. In Europe, it's somewhere between 10 and 20%, depending on the destination. And this is all tracking a bit ahead of our expectation, which was a recovery of pre-pandemic flight volumes you know, by the year 2024. And this is off of a base that was tracking, call it 50% of that volume last year. International travel, I think, will take some time, but it's not for lack of demand. That is getting in the way it's concerns about pandemic protocols and the lack of uniformity around screening and testing requirements etc i think that's that's holding back international volumes otherwise i see the return to normal for air traffic volumes as well on track in some cases maybe ahead of that meanwhile the airport stocks remain at fairly depressed price levels these levels accurately reflect the current slump in traffic versus uh, pre-pandemic, but do not reflect the recovery and travel volumes that we expect will occur in the next couple of years. So it's for this reason that we continue to like this sector within infrastructure. So I would say that would be um, the summary of where we stand with respect to the various sectors uh, within infrastructure and how much they've recovered post-pandemic.
0: Frank, we all want to get back to travel and we're recording this podcast on the Monday of the Memorial Day weekend in the U.S. We're hearing about, you know, flight cancellations, all the rest of it. And I think it's important that I define that you don't invest in airlines, you invest in airports. However, it's not fun going to the airport right now, that's staffing related issues, right? There's nothing wrong with the infrastructure of the airport as the investment.
1: That's correct. It's the shortages in supply that you've seen plague many industries, not just within infrastructure, but uh, other industries too. And I would say the airports, despite those shortages, are are managing things quite well. And I think it's more a function of getting some uniformity around post-pandemic protocols, around COVID, around testing, around travel restrictions and border restrictions. I think once those aspects of travel are are lightened and become less of a burden, you'll definitely see, first of all, your experience at the airport improve dramatically without any incremental needs in staffing or capital expenditure. And um, I think you'll find that uh, volumes can more freely improve without uh, these kinds of uncertainties and barriers.
0: I mentioned at the beginning a lot of institutional investors have been, in, you know, investing in infrastructure for quite some time, but we see that many institutional investors do favor their investment in private infrastructure. So, two-part question here. Could you just define the difference between public and private infrastructure and which would you say offers the better opportunity?
1: I would say, you know, there's benefits and drawbacks to both. You know, listed infrastructure would be what we have to offer, so owning infrastructure companies that are publicly listed and available through the stock exchanges around the world and then private infrastructure would be infrastructure assets owned in many cases controlled outright by private equity firms held within their private equity mandates that are typically only sold to institutional shareholders not retail shareholders i just want to give a quick description of the type of asset that is owned, whether it's listed or private with respect to infrastructure, because I think that's important. When I think of an infrastructure business, I think of a steady production of earnings, and from one month to the next, not much variation in the business fundamentals. You know, For example, you deliver the electricity and the water, and you get paid at the end of the month, and business gradually uh, grows with the economy or the population, or, you know, with the size of the asset base as you replace old assets or, or and upgrade them or, or, or build new ones. There aren't many surprises. The business tends to be a monopoly. Generally, sort of nominal GDP plus uh, growth framework is the natural growth rate over the long term, and these businesses tend to be inflation protected. So not your typical investment period, whether it's listed or privately held. Now, owning infrastructure privately, I think in many ways, best conveys these attributes to investors from one month to the next as you would avoid the day to day stock market volatility. Stock price volatility like what we've seen in the past several months does not at all accurately depict the steadiness of the underlying fundamentals of these properly defined infrastructure companies. And when private funds mark their infrastructure investments to market or to model, I think there's a lot more credibility in these marks than the average private equity investment, in my opinion, because infrastructure cash flows are typically much more stable and have a higher degree of uh, visibility than your average private equity investment. Now, owning listed infrastructure will therefore bring more volatility. And you know I would argue the price you see for the shares on any given day um, is not at all an accurate reflection of the company's fair market value. And most likely, not as accurate as a more thoughtful private fund mark to model valuation, at least in the short term. You know this is a very much short term phenomenon. And it's been our experience that over the long term, the total return likely achieved on, you know, say a, a listed airport versus a privately held one will not differ that dramatically. So long as, you know, the two airports are comparable for the most part, in their fundamentals. So we've actually tracked the performance of listed infrastructure funds versus privately offered ones. And over the long term, the performance has been relatively close. So while the short-term volatility may be the biggest difference between listed versus private infrastructure funds at the moment, it's worth noting that the disconnect between the views on valuation between the two marketplaces has never been wider. Uh, there are a number of reasons for this, but supply and demand is the biggest one. You know, the amount of private equity capital raised to invest specifically in infrastructure has grown substantially over the past two to three years, and we've seen private equity funds become more active in their pursuit to deploy this capital. You know This dry powder is seeking a home, and we've seen several listed companies in the infrastructure space taken private in recent years at fairly substantial premiums to the prevailing listed price. Private equity funds will typically be able to add a bit of financial leverage, perhaps some operational expertise, and most importantly, are willing to take a longer-term time horizon view and not be too preoccupied by the macro noise of the day. So, all of these factors are contributing to the private versus listed valuation disconnect at present. So. While avoiding market volatility and participating in the success uh, and investing acumen of the world's leading private equity investors probably sounds more appealing than owning listed funds. There is an advantage right now to owning listed simply because of the private market premiums being paid for them. Like, would you rather own the pile of cash paying up for listed infrastructure companies or the target companies being taken out at a premium? You know, so long as there are enough listed infrastructure offerings out there you know, to choose from for a listed infra PM like myself, then I think there's real value in owning the underpriced asset that is highly sought after by the smart money.
0: Here's probably the most important question I can ask you. Why should an investor think about adding infrastructure to their portfolios right now? And specifically, you know, utilizing the skill set of someone like yourself as a PM through an investment fund platform?
1: I think, you know, after uh, a period of fairly highly correlated returns, at least to the downside, with the markets during the pandemic and a, a sluggish recovery compared to other sectors afterwards. Infrastructure's quietly adjusted back to being somewhat of a, a good portfolio diversifier. You know, in hindsight, the run-up in valuations immediately prior to the pandemic, as investors pursued alternative investments, caused a bit of an overhang in the sector and crowding that resulted made infrastructure stocks a lot less defensive when they needed to be defensive, even though the fundamentals for those sectors proved out very well during the worst of the pandemic. So the stocks did one thing and the fundamentals did something different. Uh, Here we are two years later, after a period of consolidation, I see the stocks as being reset back to reasonable valuation levels. I also see lower correlation with stocks and bonds having returned, and investors have largely ignored the infrastructure space in pursuit of you know, more immediate total return potential at various stages of the pandemic. you know The crowding effect is no longer there, in my view, while the unique fundamental offering of steady earnings production and growth has not changed. I therefore see the argument for portfolio diversification and for using an infrastructure allocation as an actual defensive component to a portfolio as having merit once again. I think it's important to stress that Infrastructure has largely passed two proof-of-concept tests during the pandemic. You know, earnings resilience during the pandemic is one illustration of of proof-of-concept for the sector. You know, we had long claimed that fundamentals uh, in the infrastructure space were highly defensive, and for the most part they were during the worst of the pandemic shutdowns. Another validation test of the sector is unfolding right now with respect to inflation protection. The atypically high inflation seen today is a challenge for most companies, you know, including infrastructure too. But so far, I haven't seen it erode margins or returns. You know, a, a combination of pricing power, high margins, and well-managed operating costs is resulting in margin return preservation. At this point, the claim that infrastructure business models have pricing power is definitely proving to be true. Now I'll note that you know a CPI at 8% reduces most investment reader returns you know to near nothing it doesn't matter what the asset class is but you know i'd also say i don't think 8% cpi is sustainable and you know that number should uh, you know calm down a bit as as we move forward so you know if we're heading into an economic slowdown at a time when inflation is high infrastructure fundamentals have proven to be resilient against both you know unlike pre-pandemic periods the stocks actually do not look overowned nor do they look expensive and certainly in the context of what the private market is willing to pay for them, they actually look quite reasonably priced. So I would therefore say a return to the original value proposition of a more defensive and differentiated investment that is uncorrelated to stocks or bonds, plus a fundamental offering that should do well in the current environment, as well as the long term given the investment growth opportunities. You know, th- those would be the key reasons I'd, I definitely want to stress as to why I own infrastructure right now.
0: And it's not just, hey, it's infrastructure, so it's a good investment. It still takes a stock picker's mindset slash set. correct? I, I, like an active managed approach to finding the right infrastructure assets is really important.
1: Yeah, we stand by our time and tested active process applied, uh, not just as a equity income team offering quality at a reasonable price, but also the infrastructure screening framework we've used for years that's worked quite well over the long term. You know, we just want to buy pure infrastructure companies that have good regulation, long-term visible growth, and good financial discipline with respect to their balance sheets. And uh, that I think has, has proven to be a time-tested strategy when investing in infrastructure over the long-term and, and does make us look and feel different uh, from more passive offerings out there. Frank,
0: this has been a really insightful, timely and relevant conversation. And I appreciate your time with us today and uh, sharing the opportunities in the infrastructure space.
1: Thanks very much, Mark. My pleasure. And thanks
0: to all of you for joining us today. This has been another edition of On The Money. If you'd like any more information about what you've heard today, please feel free to visit us at dynamic.ca. Again, on behalf of all of us at Dynamic, thanks for joining. You've been listening to another edition of On the Money with Dynamic Funds. For more information on Dynamic and our complete fund lineup,
2: contact your financial advisor or visit our website at dynamic.ca. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns, including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption or option changes or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.